0: Warning, the Federal Communications Commission requires that we inform you that this episode of the Derek Duval show may contain content inappropriate for children. Listener discretion is advised. The FCC also requires us to inform you that this episode may contain the words "fu,, Mother, p- boy, j- dumpster, galloping, quit, but in like a British way, and also, strangely, cul-de-sac. Once again, this show may contain content not suitable for anyone but the coolest children. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Powered by Transistor
0: FM. Welcome to Friends, folks, and I. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings, because what you're about to hear is real. It's... The Derek Duval show. Prepare yourself for pop culture, commentary and interviews featuring no drama and no controversy guaranteed. And now coming to you live to take from the Derek Duval production bunker. it's Derek Duval
2: Hello Duval Nation. Hello Hi everybody. Wow. Wow thank you guys so much. Wow. Thank you, thank you. Please, please sit. Thank you. Hello, Duval Nation, and welcome to The Derek Duval Show. We are back with another fantastic journey into the lives of extraordinary people. Before we get into the episode, I want to say a huge thank you to my latest guest, Will Blaine. He was a really, really cool dude, and I want to wish him continued success in all his writing endeavors. If you haven't had a chance to listen to the episode... I encourage you to check out the episode at the conclusion of this one. So welcome to episode 95, and we got a really special program for you today. We have on the show Dynamite comic duo Francis Callier and Angela V. Shelton of Frangela. We discuss their amazing origins, Second City, their podcast, The Final Word, and Idiot of the Week. Plus, we take a deep look at cancel culture, plus so much more. This is a really great interview, so let's just go ahead and get right on into it. Duval Nation, please welcome to the show the power duo of Angela V. Shelton and Francis Callier of the group Frangela. Good evening and welcome to the Dirk of All Show. How was the weather out by the both of you today?
3: Sunny and gorgeous, 82 in LA.
2: LA? That's nice. right.
4: Yes, it is lovely.
2: I always start my interviews with the same question, that is, how has it been for the both of you to navigate the COVID nineteen pandemic? And either one of you can go first.
4: Well, I would say, first of all, it destroyed our industry, <laughs> our work. Uh, when it, and that's—I know I'm not saying anything that isn't true for pretty much everyone. You know, um, even the people who are really busy. It, you know, the, obviously, doctors and nurses—that's not what they needed. Um, but. We had a tour planned, you know, we are part of the Stephanie Miller Sexy Liberal podcast network and we had a sexy liberal tour scheduled and we basically got to do the first show, which coincidentally enough was in Seattle Mm. the day before. So we did the show and then you do this meet and greet where you meet all the people and hug them and, and talk and everything and up in each other's faces and then the next day the governor closed the state.
2: Oh, wow. But that was like February, what is it? The 28th? (laughs) We
3: flew home (laughs) as the state was being shut down. And unfortunately, Angela and I believe we both
4: were early contractors of COVID. Oh, wow. But that was like that first. So that was like at the end of February. So two weeks later, we're both really sick. And I was sicker than I've ever been. But there are no tests at that point. Right. You know, And, and it's just this weird, freaky thing. And so basically that was the, we had shows scheduled every month, everything got canceled,
3: mm-hmm.
4: you know, because of that. And of course it took a really long time for that financially to get worked out in terms of tickets that had been bought and all that. So suddenly, you know, we like most people who went through a period of time where I have one, I know one person who never stopped working because his, his he was one of those industries that's considered vital. And I guess comedy is a, uh, which was news to us. I thought it was vital. Well,
3: well, you know what? You know, for me, in terms of, you know, navigating the pandemic, navigating, which means getting through it, right? right? Moving through, making motion. What I've learned is, you know, so that's how it started. But since then, talk about getting through it. I have found myself leaning on my reserves of resiliency. That good old uh, Gen Xer know-howness, <laughs> figuring it out, making it work, you know. It has been really wonderful in a certain kind of way for my family. We've been we've gotten closer. We love each other more. We are we speak to each other more, we are <laughs> more respectful of each other, even more so. You know, you know, I, people, I know we all want to sit around and talk about the really, and there have been some awful things that have come from this pandemic. But what I can point to in my life are some, some amazingly beautiful moments with my family, cooking for them, being with them. You know, even when it was scary, even when it was tough, you know, the ability to fall back on people you love has been you know vital and amazing and and strengthening those relationships relationships that I think that most of us took for granted. you know And I think we say our partners and our children and our relationships in completely different ways and our relationships to them versus what we were doing outside our homes
4: in different ways now.
2: Yeah, it absolutely reshaped people's priorities. I was having a conversation about that with someone yesterday.
4: Yeah, it's it's just that, you know, you went from, you had to make it work, right? And if in truth, it made, I really had hoped that it would give people a greater appreciation for what it means to have a government. Because if yeah. it weren't for the government, we'd all have been, Home, most 99% of us be homeless like if it hadn't been for the government you know and and in particular the Biden administration um but stepping in and doing things like getting rent moratoriums and utilities saying they can't turn off your utilities and then getting a stimulus checks that just showed up in your account you know yeah. like that's called big government and and it really did like if it hadn't been for those things i remember like around In 2020, towards the end of it, when it took a while for that stuff to kick in, you know, and obviously Biden wasn't there yet, um, but it took a while for the whole what's happening to kick in and for unemployment and stuff to kick in, and because those those systems were overwhelmed and those people couldn't go to work either. So you know, but then when it did, I remember thinking, why am I less stressed now? And I don't mean, I mean, obviously we're all incredibly stressed. We have to just put on a side table the immense destruction and sadness and mourning, you know, and, and fear. That's there, but why? What did I have that other feeling that I sometimes have? And it was because they couldn't throw me out of my apartment, right? I had access mm-hmm. to my rights and knew them and could use them, and and I was getting unemployment because we're gig workers. You know, those are things that are hard for us to set up to navigate generally. Right. And so, in addition, so when I think of getting getting through it, what I think is that people it. Ex- that we had to go through a period of time where we all thought it was like a mini moment. Then, when we realized it was going to be longer, we came up with strategies. And one of the wonderful things in those strategies is talking to somebody like you, because there was a time when Zoom and Google Meet up and chat up chat to each other lot.com, whatever, like we didn't really use that that way. You know, to be on, if you went into people's shows, you went into their podcasts and you called into some. But now it's a territory that's familiar to us. And that's opened up so many more places we can go. Also, And relationships. Exactly.
2: So every journey has a beginning. Where were you both born? What was it like to grow up there?
3: I was born in Chicago. I was born on the west side of Chicago. And, you know. (laughs) <laughs> Allegedly, I know, because there's, 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 there's lore around that. I was initially raised in a building, a six-flat, where five of the apartments were family members. You know, from my grandmother to my aunt, we, my, we lived in one apartment. My uncle lived in another one. A great-aunt lived in another apartment. So, you know, my, my childhood was really spent just immersed in family you know i never had a babysitter i never knew what a babysitter was you know so you know that's what my childhood looked like was you know this big you know crazy family and um and so you you have you know to 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 get some notice you got to be funny in that you know, you gotta be able to get some. You gotta make, be able to make people laugh or make people notice or stand out. You know, and I was the baby, so I got a lot of attention. I
4: uh, was born in Massachusetts, but uh, I grew up in Detroit, not 50 miles outside of it, like a lot of people like to say. They are when, from Detroit when they not. And I, you know, we, would, we I grew up in Afro-Saxon basically. My mom's a lawyer, but you know, she was a single parent. And me and my mom, my sister, Grew up there. I went to the University of Michigan for college, which was awesome. Yeah, I think I grew up in a, in a different way, but in the obviously. But I remember for me, and it's still true, the biggest high for me has always been making somebody laugh, especially when they don't think they can. And I can remember like my mom coming home for work and she was always very busy and very active. And she's like a local politician and stuff. And And I just wanted to make her laugh, you know, so I practiced you know, and played with words and construction. And then when, you know, when Second City came to Detroit, they had big auditions, cattle call auditions. And I went and I was, it took a couple months of auditioning, but I got into that company and that, that changed, you know, my life trajectory of my life. I didn't really know what I was going to do. I wasn't sure. And I'd always loved comedy and I'd always loved Second City because growing up in Detroit, we had access to Canadian TV. So I saw SCTV growing up. And I knew that all those people are the people who went to Saturday Night Live. So that was really that was really the changing point. But we met, Francis and I met in Chicago because of Second City. We both right. worked there.
2: Francis, what took you to Second City?
4: Uh, I was a class clown,
3: and my uh, high school uh, English teacher got sick and tired of me derailing class every <laughs> single day. He said, you know, why don't you put this energy into something? Why don't we focus it up? And he sent me over to Second City, and I thought I was going to learn how to be a stand-up. And and as Angela said, it changed the trajectory of my life. I did so much. I became a teacher. I produced. I created the Chicago Improv Festival. I ran the training centers. I toured. I directed. You know, you name it, I did it uh, in terms of improvisation because I just love it. And uh, I teach now at the Second City. I teach storytelling and I teach improvisation. And it's really wonderful to be able to, because I tell people, I tell my students every week, I do it for free if they let me.
2: I've heard something once about Second City and I'm hoping you can dispel if this is a myth or not. And that is, do they have every performance saved on some form of video or film?
4: Not every, but also every performance, but um, sh- shows. So like mm-hmm. that maybe like the opening, not usually the opening night, but some night during the review for many of the reviews, I think, you know, when you get to when you get into the black and white or like the the original second scene, the compass, no. You know, there's like some there's some scenes like what's that one tape that has like all those that they make us all watch Francis <laughs> like that has like well, the games, all these the like football walls, yeah, think, football yeah. at, at the you know University of Chicago or whatever. There are some when you get into the to the late 60s, 70s, but I think once you get into like the 70s, 80s, there's like there are, I you know, are at least some kind of VHS maybe right. <laughs> of every show. And I do know that they set up a system that I now have to check on because I wanted to get into it where we could look up, you could watch old sh- reviews yes, online. Right. Yeah. And I've yeah. I've lost my login information. <laughs> I can that help. It's typical. That. Yeah, that is typical of me to do. So, so yeah.
2: Who were your comedic influences growing up?
4: When well, I was, I can tell kids. you know, Francis looked up to real quick. <laughs> <laughs> it's a funny story. Francis Francis used to, Francis's mother was a very very funny woman very funny lady. Very funny. And very one day, Frances and I, you know, she's she's no longer with us. She was a lovely, lovely woman. And uh, Frances was always, and she was very funny. I met, always very funny. But for one day, we're in the car and we're listening to, I happened to get a copy of, like a Red Fox. This is a, a thing called a CD. I don't know if y'all yes. know about those. Um, once upon
3: a time, they used once upon a
4: time. to come on, on CDs. It was a physical thing. So um I had the CD and the radio in the car, and we were driving someplace listening, listening to it, and all of a sudden Francis starts doing all the jokes. And she looks at me and, and goes, Oh my God, why don't you tell him, Francis? I go, This is my mother's
3: entire set. My mother, <laughs> I thought my entire life that my mother was incredibly funny, but she had been stealing from red pops. My entire life. Now, I want you to question the fact that if you as a well, mother wanna steal,
4: why <laughs> would you tell your child Red Fox's jokes? Well, that's the thing, because this if you don't know Red Fox's humor, is if you know Sanford's son think really a lot dirtier than that. (laughs) Okay, don't. don't, No, this is not what we call family-friendly material generally.
2: (laughs) Well, if you're going to steal, at least she stole from the best. That's exactly. But But who else, Francis?
4: I grew
3: up, like, You know, I did what a lot of kids did. Like, you know, we had the hi-fi, and people would all come over, and my parents had, you know, tons of parties, and there was always a record on the hi-fi. You know, and it would be Red Red Fox or or not Red Fox, but like Richard Pryor, and I would pretend to fall asleep. (laughs) on the floor and so i could and lay as close to the as to the speaker as possible so i could get every single dirty word and cherish it and i mean i would polish each word in my heart I mean, it was so exciting and fun, and the giggling on the inside that I knew what he was saying and what it meant, or even if I didn't, it was funny, other people were laughing, and to be a part of that, you know, and, you know, so, you know, that record moment that we grew up with. And it was the imagination of the mind. Well, I watched, you know, every roast of Bob Hope and George Burns and, you know, yeah. and all kinds of old films. And, you know, I watched the Three Stooges. We know all those bits, yeah. you know, all that
4: stuff. You know, George Carlin, my yeah. goodness. Angela, yeah. what about you? Well, this is the thing. We One of the lucky things or the cool things about growing up the way we did is when we grew up and although we're not that old it's gonna sound like we're really old but uh is that we didn't have cable was dirty my mother thought when cable came around so we didn't have cable because that was just dirty movies um (laughs) but uh so we had basically you know you have the networks right which three right and then you had like a local station and then like the the kind of like less than um it was, looked like it was in somebody's garage local station underneath mm-hmm. that so you didn't have and tv went off remember that they put up the flag they played the uh national anthem and they were like go to bed and tv went <laughs> off so because of that we watched anything and everything we could we were tv generation kids right so so we've seen all i grew up you know loving laurel and hardy and you know um all abbott and costello and all because i got to see it now you know babies from the moment you're born you get an algorithm attached to it and you you get shown the same things that you already like you know and i think it's really hard for people to get i see more and more a level of cultural literacy that we i feel like we're losing you know in people variety
3: yeah
4: to me it's it's just it's a crime if you call yourself a stand-up and you haven't listened you haven't seen or or listened to richard Pryor any of his albums or Lenny Bruce or Bob Newhart. Those are the people, I mean, like, that's a cry shame. And we lose a lot when we lose that history. And I think for me also, I grew up loving the sitcoms, you know, Laverne and Shirley and Mork and Mindy and all of these shows. And then watching shows like MASH and figuring out what the humor was in that. And Archie Bunker, you know, all those Norman Lear shows, you know, uh, so... Uh, yes. I think and we just also, had yeah. access to so many more things that I, than, in a way, even though they were harder to get.
2: Okay, Duval Nation, we're going to go ahead and take a small break right now, but we will be right back with the conclusion of this amazing interview with Frangela. May I suggest you take this time to refresh the drink and take some super long, deep breaths, you know, Cluzo style.
1: Out with the bad air, in with the good. Out with the bad air, in with the good.
2: We have a couple of friends of my show your attention, and we will be right back.
4: Welcome to Wine Chats with Bildo and Lindalyn. My name is Billy Milovanovich, aka Bildo. My name is Lindsay Kirkwood, also known as Lindalyn. And this is our offensively funny podcast about drinking wine and chatting life. Some of our previous topics include conspiracy theories. I know somebody that thinks the world's flat. What? Like a real person? Yes body
0: ailments. I'm gonna go from toes up because I have a lot. (laughs) No seriously you laugh but
4: I have so many body ailments. what happens with age guys. And I know.
0: And orgasms.
4: I'm a little bit frustrated and it just hasn't been happening. I'm trying, Henry's trying, we're all trying but when orgasming is good it's good. Basically we talk about all the things that you would generally talk about over wine with your girlfriends. New episodes out each Monday.
0: Chat Chat
2: soon. soon. Teachers, do you ever have these feelings, or have been told these things?
0: Do you want Kleenex for your classroom? Maybe you should think about buying your own, with your own money. You get the summer off, you can have a second job. Do you really need a pay raise? Oh, do you need to use the restroom? Maybe you can do that in the three minutes while students are changing classes. Boy, sure hope your room doesn't descend into Lord of the Flies in
2: that time.
0: Oh, things are going pretty good for one. Surprise!
2: Budget cuts! Well, you're in luck because we've got a book just for you.
0: Hi, everyone. It's Katie Kinder, educator, speaker, and author of Untold Teaching Truths. I invite you to purchase my book and join this journey as we talk about the wild world of public education, part memoir, part strategy. It is available on BookBaby, Amazon, or wherever books are sold. Teach on Warriors. We've got this. Hi, it's Michelle Fabre,
3: and you can hear my new single, Last Chance for Love, on Spotify,
0: Apple Music, and all other streaming platforms. Last chance for love, last chance for love. Can we make it? Just tell me so.
3: Last chance for love, last chance for love. Come on, let's take it or let it go.
2: Karen Stolzno's new book, Fisher's Ghost and Other Stories is out now, just in time for Halloween. From Monster Talk's co-host comes this anthology of supernatural short fiction. The characters within these pages include lovelorn ghosts, restless spirits, deceptive demons and deeply flawed humans, their tales all told with a twist. These unsettling stories are guaranteed to give you nightmares. Fisher's Ghost and Other Stories is available for ebook and in paperback from Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and other online
1: booksellers. This is Country Boy for one. My Black History, and if you listen to my podcast, this is some of the things that you will enjoy. The term Jim Crow derives from early 19th-century minstrel shows. It was a popular form of entertainment, which is the predecessor to vaudeville. The shows consisted of a primarily white song and dance performer crudely mimicking African-Americans for the enjoyment of white audiences. One of the earliest and most famous was Thomas Daddy Rice, who devised a strutting, dancing character supposedly mimicking a prancing crow. And the character became known as Jim Crow. And if this is the type of content that you enjoy, you can find more content like this at OneMicHistory.com.
4: navigating insurmountable odds, and how I dealt with and overcame them. You can find Perfectly Flawed on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold.
2: Welcome back to episode 95 of The Derek Duvall Show. Let's get right back to it with the conclusion of our interview with acclaimed comedy duo, Frangela. What subjects do you tend to draw your comedy from? Is it political humor, observational humor?
3: If we, we are social, if I had to put us in a Pegasus someplace, I would say we are social political satirists, storytellers. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that that's, what, that's where we really live and enjoy. And mm-hmm. we're improvisers, too. So we like to get something. You know what? We We're kind of like a dog with a bone sometimes. And what happens is, you know, we get on a subject matter and we're just kind of, you know, just getting in there. You know, we want to suck the marrow out and figure out, you know, how can we heighten this moment and and send ourselves, surprise ourselves, not just the audience.
2: You were both on Oprah for the best standups in America, correct?
3: Yes. Yes.
2: All right. First off, is Oprah the incredibly nice person we all want to believe she is? And what are your favorite memories from doing that show
4: she well first of all that we got asked at all yeah. um she actually did an episode we had a cartoon uh and it would start out as like a five-minute cartoon and it later became its own like half hour, like real cartoon show um that she we wrote an episode where we had fantasized about her being our friend and having a slumber party that she came to. And she actually did the voiceover for it, which was like huge, right? That we got Oprah to do it. So being on that episode alone was amazing. But on top of it, like my favorite part was beforehand, the Oprah people, the mechanism, you know, of the The machine. machine call and they're like well we've looked at your internet connection I'm like y'all can do that you can just look at my internet connection <laughs> and they're like and it's not good enough so we've sent out um the company to fix that to get up your whatever the you know all you know the, the jargon and I was like what and they like I don't know how Oprah how she but she basically Oprah just says things like Angela needs better internet and then suddenly I had better internet like it was just <laughs> I was like that she's like a god. Like, I don't, like, it was the weirdest thing. I didn't give them account numbers or anything. They're just like, now we fixed that. Like, I was like, but You know what? And you know what? And to what Angela's point, what she
3: just said, you asked, what was it like? It is like kind of speaking to God. It's kind of, you get kind of heady. You oh, get we you winded.
4: We did get, the whole little
3: bit. <laughs> yeah, you get, you get, you get a little bit excited and we have met and know so many famous people but Mm -hmm. oprah is in a category that i don't know if anybody
4: i don't know anybody else that's in it i will tell you who else is it for me it's meryl street meryl
2: street is
4: it we got to Yeah, Meryl Streep saw us perform, and we were in a show that she, a fundraiser thing, that we somehow, we luck into these moments a lot, and she, we came off stage, and she hugged, she took us both in her arms, and was laughing, and, and was said, I want to take you everywhere with me, and I was like, I'll do it, and I will admit to you, in this private moment between just us, if I'm having a bad day, sometimes I listen, I watch that show, our part of just so I can hear her laughing off stage. Cause you can hear her laugh and it makes me happy.
2: You both have extensive television and film credits. Francis first, any show you've done that sticks out as one of your favorites?
3: Well, you know, I mean, I loved doing best week ever. Cause that's yeah. an early show that, you know, uh, of TV that we, I got, we, Angela and I did. I loved our cartoon together. Uh, hey, Moni. I loved. I love doing. Um,
4: I love doing. I can tell you uh, what it is. What? Quick draw. <gasps> Quick draw is fun too. Quick draw is a like an is, is, is improvised sort. You know, um, ca- like um, cowboy. You know, um, a western show that a really talented uh, writer and director team. And a friend of ours, Nancy Hauer and her writing partner, John Lear, they created that we were fortunate enough to be sort of recurring characters on. And it was so much. I would say outside of our own shows, it's it, absolutely my favorite show experience because they are just they had the best, most fun set ever. You can see it on Hulu
3: right now. Yep. You can put in Quick Draw and, and watch it. And uh, that's fun. And I, of course, I loved doing being part of Hannah Montana because that was just cra- a crazy cultural <laughs> moment, you know, Watching how like how crazy people got for a Disney show was really really interesting.
2: Yeah, fandom can be incredibly strange. Okay, Angela, same question.
4: Yeah, I would say I was just gonna say he's just not that into you because we talked ourselves into that part. Like that part, it was a part from one person, and we went in and went, "Can we do it together? Can we improvise or do it together?" And they went, "Okay." Like it was a really good lesson, and we've had a number of these moments, but if I can give anybody one piece of advice, don't you tell yourself no, make other people say it. <laughs> you know, yeah. if you want to get something, ask for it. Can I tell you how many times that's actually worked? Like we walked into a radio station and we sat, we got a we at, we got a meeting with the, the guy who ran the radio station. At a local radio station here in Los Angeles. And people were like, why are you doing that? I'm like, well, we want a radio show. And they were like, that's ridiculous. We walked to his office and he's like, what do you guys want? We want, we want a radio show. And he went, okay. Like, it's <laughs> like, you know, like, sometimes just ask. The worst that can happen yeah. is they say no. And you walk out with what you walked in with. You know, Nothing. like, they, yeah, they don't take anything from you. They don't go, no, no, and I'm taking your car. But if you ask, sometimes you're going to hear yes. That was absolutely, I loved doing our radio show. We had this little local radio show here in Los Angeles that, I mean, was on the worst possible time, Saturday and Sundays at like, what was it, like noon or one? No, it just, yeah. you know, it was like, but like, <laughs> we actually got ratings. Like we were beating shows on the weekdays at drive time. And people would, I remember we did this show where we were in the jungle, huge mistake. That I would say was a huge mistake on our part. Um, but we went—we were doing this show, we're in the jungle of Costa Rica, and people on the crew were like, I like your radio show. And I was like, are you kidding? <laughs> our little local radio show? Like, so I, that was a lot of fun. But, and I would say best week ever was just always. I mean, we love pop culture and being able to talk about it is just fun.
2: I've asked this question to other comics I've had on my show. Do you feel it's harder to write jokes in the current climate of cancel culture?
3: Not at all. No, Derek, because you're talking to two black women who are okay. of a certain age. All right. And we have never needed to call out another group of people, call miscall them by their names. I've never needed to say the N word inappropriately. You know what I mean? In yeah. a certain kind of way. Mm-hmm. You know, like. Those aren't our needs. Those aren't, you know, I still have the whole entire breath, width and breadth of infinity to make fun of, punch up at, make jokes about. You mean to tell me that just because a small sliver of respect is being asked of you as a comedian, that the rest of the entire infinite universe, that is available to you, you can't go and find something in that
4: to make a joke out? I'm that's telling you, because here's the deal. Let me tell you some cancel culture. That concept is BS. What that's it about is. is people trying to get cover for not being funny. Because the reality is nobody, when, when, when people complain about cancel culture, what they're saying is I am owed an audience. No, you're not nobody owes you their attention you they get to decide whether they give it to you or not and you have to keep it or you can lose it that's how it works plus no no one has the right to consequence for reaction free speech no one so not even baby jesus you know or whatever god i'm an atheist you may be into people reacted do what these people had to say, and they have the right to. So if you're saying things that people don't find funny or entertaining, like they have the right to say that, they have the right to not listen to your material. They have the right to write companies that support you and say, "I don't think you should support this person." But what Francis said is absolutely true. When I've and I've heard many comedians say this. Well, you know, these are the kind of jokes you tell at the beginning of your career. That ex that excuse, and it is an excuse, makes my blood boil because you do not have to tell an anti-Semitic joke ever. You can talk about people and things, and if that's what the material you're going to do, if you're going to do that kind of material, then yes, you, what you're saying is there. I don't. I've decided that there's a portion of my audience that I don't need to have, you know. And that's and I would like to your be canceled choice. By them, that is your choice. I feel like when comedians say this, especially people like Bill Maher, it's bullshit. I'm like, just because you weren't funny one night, you gonna blame? Them. I've never respected that. People cool, comedians who come off stage and go, it's a bad audience. No, 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 no. You didn't do good jokes. I'm not necessarily that you're always bad, but we've done sets with people where they went out. We did this. We were doing a show where we were emceeing. This guy went out. It was a college show. All college students. Guy goes out and does a set about getting a mortgage. They don't respond. They tune him out. They don't like it. He comes backstage livid and blames us and says that our, our intro wasn't good, that we didn't introduce him correctly. And it was like, has it occurred to you that when you went out there and nobody there was over the age of 19 that maybe mortgages wasn't the material to go for? Right. <laughs> like, it's yeah. like, you know, yeah. like, and uh, and it's, I mean, that's like a non-offensive example of it, but I can give you so many others. And it's like, I people don't have to like your material, you know, and and I, you can decide if that's the kind of humor you're going to do, then that's, you're going to, like, we do what we do and there are people who I'm sure who don't like it. And you know what? We trudge. We trudge along with them. We try to make do with them, And we invite people All If, if someone is not like what we've said, we invite them to go out someplace else. Because the reality is we're not so ubiquitous that we're hard to avoid. You know, like you, you don't have to go out of your way to avoid us at this point. And I don't know that we either of us would want to be in that kind of position where you did anyway. But that's the thing that I think is ridiculous about the whole concept of cancel culture. It's like it's not cancel culture. It's called taste and discernment. And people have always had it.
2: Between the two of you, who are some of your fellow comics that you are currently enjoying and admiring right now?
4: You know,
3: I loved, uh, recently I watched um, Roth Michael. Uh, That show really was great. Uh, and That's Jared Carmichael. And that was great. I'm trying to watch as many new
4: people as possible right now can i say something that's kind of and i don't mean it because it's sincere we do a podcast idiot of the week and when i tell you that i'm gonna say us there i'm just saying us and i'm saying idiot of the week because especially i don't know if i told francis if you listen to this week's because you we do them a week but sometimes we don't know what's what's airing when I was losing it. I was at the gym listening to it and I could not, I couldn't breathe and I was laughing and I almost like hurt myself. Like I was like, <laughs> I had to get off of the machine. That's great. Um, so first of all, I want to say us. <laughs> but then I've liked a lot of shows that are not stand up necessarily. Aren't necessarily just hysterically. I really liked um, Life and Beth, uh, which is the Amy Schumer's. And was it Somebody Somewhere? Am I getting that right? It's an uh, HBO show. It was really good.
2: I want to hear more about the two podcasts that you do, Final Word and Idiot of the Week. Where do you draw your inspirations for creating these amazing shows?
3: We draw our inspirations for the final word. The, well, there are two diff- very different podcasts. The first right. is the final word, which is a, a weekly news wrap-up and punch-up. And it's the news how we see it, and it's the news we think you need to know, and it's from our perspective, you know? And, you know, what we really enjoy about doing that podcast is you, you can go and listen to a news wrap-up anywhere, but what I really appreciate is when, when listeners come and write to us and they go, you know what, you set a perspective that I have not heard anywhere else. You brought up a historical fact that I haven't heard anywhere else. This made me think, the way you talked about it from a personal perspective made me think about it in a different way. And I'm really excited to be able to, Utilize our platform in those ways, you know, just getting people to think about news. And and we help some really awful things kind of go down in a slightly, sometimes very comedic way.
2: I quickly want to ask you about your comedy album Resist. What was the response to that?
3: So much fun. You know, resist is the culmination of um a lot of material we were doing on the on our fir- on our first or second tour with the sexy liberals. And you know, thats some of our favorite picks. You know, we we end up with a lot of material, a lot of really funny bits that we love to do. And uh, so those that was a selection of some fun, fun bits that we just enjoy, like a toga bit. You know, uh, you know, things that we just enjoy that we were like, if we were going to, you know, memorize, you know, you know, create this, 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 this tool, this is what it's going to look like. We didn't have another one. That's
4: I mean, that's a while ago now, right? Like, how long? Yeah, Yeah, it's been a minute.
2: Okay. So what's next for the two of you?
4: Well, right now. That's funny. funny. You should ask.
3: We're going to be appearing at the Ledge here in Hollywood, the Ledge Theater, uh, August uh, 12th. We have a show at Largo here in Los Angeles with
4: Kathy Griffin and a whole bunch of excellent people. It's to benefit. It's a benefit show to benefit swing left to help get Democrats and progressive politicians elected.
2: (laughs) That's awesome. And best of luck to you both on that show. So as we begin to wind down this interview, what would be the best way for my listeners to follow your adventures online?
3: You can follow us at Frangela Duo on any of the uh, socials, and you can go to frangela.com to find out more information.
2: I am my interviews with my favorite question, and the question is this. If the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would you like to say to the people of Earth?
3: I love you. Um, Yeah, right? I love you, and please, please, let's just be a little bit more tender and loving with each other.
4: Be good to each other. Just take a breath. At that moment, take a breath, look at the other person and say, oh, I love you. Just try, you know, that's all we're doing, right? Like right now yeah. is like, it. things are tense. And just, it just if you could just take a moment <laughs> and appreciate the breath coming in out of your lungs and the fact that you get to be there with another person, whether they agree with you or not, that that's a gift.
2: Ladies, thank you ever so much for taking the time to come on the show. This has been an absolute treat, and I wish you both nothing but the absolute best. You, honestly, God, you guys are both truly amazing.
3: You, you too. All the blessings you to you, so you so there.
4: Right. Thank you so much, Trevor God. It's an honor. We really enjoyed it.
2: And just like that, Devon Nation, we come to the end of episode 95. I want to thank Angela and Francis for taking the time to come on the show. That was a real delight, and I want to wish them nothing but continued success for their future. A few housekeeping items before we close out this episode. As you just heard, this is episode 95, and we are now just a couple shows away from the big centennial episode. I am dying to tell you who the 100th guest is, but some secrets marinate well. Believe me, it's going to be an amazing episode and you are not going to want to miss it. I've had a chance to check out our store on TeePublic. We have everything from magnets, stickers, and mugs. Plus, we have a carefully curated collection of t-shirts put together by myself and Mrs. Duvall. Be sure to go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com. Look on the banner on the left that says Merch. Click that and you'll be taken to our store on TeePublic. And as always, we want to thank TeePublic for being such great partners with us. On behalf of the entire team here at The Director of all Show, I want to remind you that it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Uh, we lost a very close friend four years ago to breast cancer, and I know others, close friends, who have been afflicted. Work it out with your insurance company, but I urge all women listening to make an appointment to get a mammogram, especially if you have family history. An early catch can mean the difference between life and death. Believe me, I know all about that. Nusta, God bless, and see you next time. Planet Earth.
0: This has been a recording of the Derek Duval Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, Derekduvalshow.com, to explore past episodes and find links to purchase merchandise. Please subscribe to our social media channels on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Derek Duval Show.